So I want to talk a little bit this morning about love and justice. And a lot of this comes from our trip to Africa and uh, some of our experience there. And this phrase, heaven is where love and justice meet, sort of came from that. And uh, needless to say, we, we had some pretty pro profound experiences while we were there and just real deep connections with the people in Africa. So uh, this uh, beginning scripture here, we'll come back to it again in a bit, but where Hosea is saying, you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. Um, I don't know when we started that, but Marlene, do you remember like six months or a year ago? We just decided in the morning with our morning devotionals as we read Bible together and pray and drink our coffee, um, just as a change up, we decided to read any scripture on justice from one end of the Bible to the other. And it's amazing how much is in there just on the, if you just select the word justice and go through that. So I don't know how many months we spent doing that, but it was super enlightening. And it was kind of timely, too, because I think we, for sure we started it before we went on our trip. And there was quite a process of when you're going on a fairly big trip and uh, not cheap by any means when you fly to Africa. Um, but there's a lot to think about before you go. And uh, we could have found all kinds of excuses to not go. So you're thinking, okay, time, money, you know, health, all these things, the chickens, <laughs> <laughs> all these things to think about. Who's going to look after the chickens while we're gone? <laughs> Carl, fortunately, Carl was here, and Charlotte. And but seriously, though, there's, there's lots to think about on a trip like that, and you could easily talk yourself into not going. Um, but we were just so blessed by going, and um, of course, we're, any of you that we talked to were just excited to be going back soon. Um, don't know exactly when that is yet, but uh, hopefully it'll be soon. Um, just as a bit of a quick update or whatever here, the next slide. Uh, we were having dinner with my brother and his uh, partner last night and mom in Nelson. And uh, so they, they're not church attenders, but they we mentioned that oh, I'm speaking tomorrow, so... That wasn't enough to lure them to come and listen. <laughs> but, then they, but then they said, well, are you going to be saying anything funny? <laughs> I said, probably not. You know, love and justice, it's a little bit. But then I thought, well, just for them, I'm going to throw this in here. So there's my younger brothers. I must have been standing on a stool or something. I'm not sure why that. And I don't know where Jeff got that curly hair from. That's must have went to a salon or something for that. But uh, before we were going to Africa, I was feeling the odd little chest pain. And so the reason I put this picture up here is the short guy there, three years ago at age 49, had a heart attack and stints installed in Kelowna. So it's a little over three years ago, I think. And... Uh, second brother there, Steve, in March, had a quintuple bypass in Kelowna. And to top that off, 
The other male in this, not, that's not in the picture here, is um, our dad passed away at age 53 from heart problems. So thinking about going to Africa and getting a few twinges in your chest, you're kind of thinking, oh, should I or shouldn't I? Should I or shouldn't I? Should I go to the doctor or not go to the doctor? You know, it was back and forth, and I thought, of course, typical guy, no, I'm going to go later. And, um, but I did come back in one piece, and now did go to the doctor getting checked out. So far, so good. So I had a pretty good stress test about a week ago where you just, if you ever had one of those, you're just about ready to drop. And then when, you're, when you can't stand anymore, they throw you on the table and they got the ECGs on you and your heart's just beating out of your chest like that. And it's still beating. So, so far, so good. So, okay, Carol, next. So, yeah, there we go. So this is our team that we went to Africa with. Um, other than the lady in the purple here is Juliana's daughter. So Juliana's in that very cool uh, with it dress, blue dress there, flowered dress. Um, and that's her daughter. And the rest of us, this is our team that went over from Canada. So when we say team going over, we weren't like a missions team going over there to do work or anything like that. Although we kind of felt, we sort of felt like that sometimes because we were being thanked constantly as we were there, but as representatives of IJM. So for those of you that I'll just quickly go over, International Justice Mission is the organization that we support personally quite a bit and we're doing it through uh, my martial arts schools as well. And so I'll talk about that shortly. Uh, so that's how we got connected to go on this trip. Um, so as we were there, we were there just more on a fact-finding mission to see the work that IJM does, to understand it. And we didn't really know at the time before we left how many locals we would meet, how many especially what IGM never calls victims. You know, we, we think of them as victims or they've been victimized, but IGM always calls them clients. So it's very cool and they treat them like clients and when they take on somebody, they're with them for maybe a year with rescuing them, helping prosecute perpetrators that have done injustice to them, whether it's land grabbing or sex trafficking, sexual violence, whatever it might be. But then they're doing aftercare with the people for like a good year afterwards, okay? And counseling, all that kind of stuff. So IGM does this really holistic approach. And this is why we were going on this trip was to visit two IGM field offices and see how they do their work, okay? So this one field office, the first place we went to is Uganda. And this was our team that went over. Uh, Pastor Tim on the left and the lady beside him, they're from Kitimat. So she's just a parishioner from his church. So from Kitimat, and then in the middle is Phil Riley, who you guys will meet probably this fall sometime. So he's the new director of mobilization for British Columbia for IJM. Um, and so one of his main jobs is going out speaking to churches and raising justice awareness. So Phil will be here. We've actually got a, a gig set up for him and myself 
at Selkirk College in the fall with their peace cafes, they call them. So if you've ever heard of them, they have the Mir Peace Center, whatever. I don't know that much about it, but it, in Castlegar. So they have these peace cafes where they bring speakers in and just a smaller group like this uh, gets involved. So that's set up for the end of November. I'll make sure everybody hears about the date for that. So that's Phil. Uh, in the back there on the right is Ed Wilson. Ed's the top director for Canada. Uh, Fry Jam, and so, and then the lady in front of him is uh, Annette from Calgary, and then the lady on the far right is my lovely wife from South Spokane, Marlene. <laughs> so anyways, it was an awesome team, really neat experience, but we were there primarily to understand what IGM does and the effectiveness of their work. And we came away speechless, like totally speechless on the quality of the work, the, the professionalism of the staff, and just the effectiveness of what they do. Um, it's, it's, it just blows us away. Um, just a couple of extra notes here. The other thing that, that really stood out for us as we went there, in Juliana's case, again, some of you heard her story before, but in Juliana's case, the problem in Uganda is land grabbing. So widows and orphans, when the husband passes away, there, there's, th it's not even law on their books, but there's uh, not even really tradition, but there's this thing that where everybody thinks, okay, the guy's gone, he's the one that owns the land, and now he's not there, the land's up for grabs. So basically, you get thugs. Sometimes you get even kind of connected family members. But, and then there is, there's actually guys that make a, a bigger living out of it, like basically almost like a organized crime, that they're going in and they'll do it bam, 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 bam on a regular basis. Some of the cases are just one time only. Okay? But before IGM went there, there was zero convictions for that type of crime. Okay? So they, they measured it. There were thousands of these instances happening with zero conviction. Nobody, but it, it's against the law on their books. Okay, so IGM goes in and they analyze the whole situation and see, okay, where's the holes in the justice system? Why are things falling through the cracks? Why aren't people being charged? Why aren't they being prosecuted and so on? So the work that IGM's been doing there now results in Juliana's case in April when it completed in court the guy, the perpetrator that in, after a series of threats, threatening, threatening her, and then eventually slashing her hand with a machete, he got six years in jail. The highest sentence ever for that type of crime in Uganda. That just happened in April. Okay, so that's the kind of witness or stuff that we got to witness while we were there to, to meet somebody like Juliana firsthand. She took the time, sat down, gave us her story, which she's probably told, you know, several times over, but for our benefit so that we can come back and share with people like yourselves, um, just the, the value of what IGM's doing and just these people are just, thank you, thank you, thank you. It's just huge. And this, through this church and uh, many of us in this area with various justice work, we've been sending a lot of dollars that direction to help out. Um, 
think the last count. <coughs> Excuse me. Where's the last? Is about <coughs> sixty. <coughs> It'll come back. When I'm teaching Taekwondo, I'm yelling all the time. But I got in this habit now. I always got a fisherman's friend in my mouth, and it helps a lot. I didn't want to have candies in my mouth here while I'm talking to you guys. But uh, overall, in just a little over two years, what initiative that just started with the Nelson Youth Group and then spread through our Taekwondo schools, um, the concert we had here in, in January, all those initiatives, we've raised over $60,000 indirectly through our various networks and stuff. So um, it's, it's sure gratifying to go over there and see those dollars um, at work. Okay, uh, Carol, next, please. I'm here just again emphasizing that we never felt closer to God and the joy of his presence than during our encounters in Africa. So when you meet somebody like Juliana that's been where she's been, you can most of us haven't experienced that kind of a, a threat, that violence being thrown right out of your home. Like it's, it's un incomprehensible to most of us, okay? But th imagine the joy when that's happening to her and most of these people, or many of them, I would expect are even saying, God, where are you? You know, praying to God, help, help, help. And then when somebody does come along and help, just imagine that joy that she feels, that Juliana feels, um, when that happened. And that's what we got a taste of while we were there. It was just, again, we've been back uh, two months now, and there isn't a day goes by we're not talking about Africa, talking about the people we met, thinking about when we're going back, and so on. And as far as for us here, for believers here, um, we talk about love and justice. As Jesus said, there's no greater love than laying down your life. For So the least we could do is step out and do what all of us, what we're able to do. IGM's on the field there. They're professionals. They're lawyers, investigators, ex-police, uh, social workers, counselors. They're extremely professional staff. And so supporting them is like my number one priority because they're there they know what they're doing but we can we can be part of that through through them and it's again for us too here justice is about some of us get confused a little bit like what does justice mean and even in christian circles um, we get tripped up a little bit and feel like justice and love don't actually go together right sometimes we feel like justice is harsh and it's almost like as if it's the opposite of love, and it's not, right? The two go together. And just as we could see in, um, might be my next scripture, but, uh, well, for back to the Hosea one is, must return to your God, maintain love and justice, okay? But coming up here, this other scripture I've got here, Psalm 89, 14. Don't go there yet, Carol, but I'll, I just want to mention this just now. Um, 
Psalm 89:14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Okay? So love and justice is so much a part of who God is. Okay, uh, Carol. This is just another really cool shot of Juliana. Um, she just really impressed us so much with her courage. Sometimes for us, it takes a lot of courage to step out and do different things, to do things that, you know, is God with us in this or not, or where's God calling us to do, and then it takes that faith and courage to, to step out. Kelvin talked last week about uh, faith, you know, active faith faith that works and it's tough for us sometimes but it takes courage but it was encouraging to us when you look at a lady like this a a 70 plus year old widow um, and her courage in her life and her circumstances for us to kind of challenge us to step up up to the plate i'm reading a listening to a book right now called an imperfect offering does anybody read that book or heard of it? It's a Canadian doctor n- by the name of James Drabinsky. So it's an interesting book. If you want some really good history on third world uh, trauma, catastrophes, he's part of the MSF. So I, I'm not really super familiar with that organization, but it's kind of like Doctors Without Borders. Okay, so MSF, doctors that are going into all these war zones, all these tough places and so it's a little bit about his experiences his life story and uh man the i'm not well actually i did just get to the towards the end of the book yesterday but the stuff that he's experienced is just mind-blowing and when you hear from the inside where he's treating wounded people in whether it's in a war or um, he was right in rwanda during the genocide in 1994 he was there so here he is people coming to him and i'm I'm not going to get and be all gory about the genocide but it it was nothing less than than gory it was it was atrocious Um, you could not read about it or you could (laughs) Um, to me i think for any of us in north america uh, we're not doing ourselves any favors by staying in our safe little bubble over here. Um, I think it's probably not healthy, and we're, I think we're missing out. Okay, But there's some pretty ugly stuff that's happened all around the world. You, you know, you guys have all heard of different things than that. But that genocide was, in Rwanda, was particularly uh, horrendous. But he was there during that whole thing. And... Uh, in part of part of the book here is just an interesting observation. So he comes back to Canada and he's got this monk friend or something. James Rabinsky, I think, was Catholic, brought up Catholic. It's a, not a, a Christian-based book at all, but he comes. He's lives in. I think he lived out of Montreal. So he comes back and he's talking to this monk friend of his, right? So James is. He's going to see his name's Benedict, right? So James says to him after 
some of, I can't remember exactly which experience, but he's coming back home and he says to Benedict, justice is an illusion. So is it to us? Is justice just an illusion? Or can and will God bring his justice to bear here? Like, is it more than an illusion? So Benedict's answer to him was, it's not an illusion, not when you know what injustice is. And then Benedict goes on to say, the victim is someone very concrete. So I don't think we want to treat justice as just some fairy tale, hopeful, that's just the way the world is, da-da-da-da. Um, these people that are suffering injustice, each one of them are people just like us. Our kids, just like our kids. And, you know, there's all kinds of different numbers out there. 36 million people in some form of slavery today in the world. Um, but just in general, third world countries, if you're poor, you suffer hugely from injustice that the justice system usually in those poor countries doesn't function for them. It functions if you got money. Or if you got money, you buy your own justice, as in you know, maybe your own security guards or bribe somebody or whatever it might be. Uh, next, Carol, please. So my question here is, what is the character of God? And should we try to model this? So righteousness and justice are the foundations of your throne. That speaks hugely of who God is. Love and faithfulness go before you. So if that's a huge part of God's character, should we not be trying to model that as much as possible. Next, Carol. So righteousness, justice, love, and faithfulness are the foundation of God's throne. They're fundamental aspects of the way God rules and of who he is. As God's ambassadors, we should deal with people similarly. Make sure your actions flow out of righteousness, justice, love, and faithfulness. Because any unfair, unloving, or dishonest action cannot come from God. And I wonder what would the result be if we all, or if the world practiced this. Next, Carl. I like this scripture here. I ask, how can we measure our actions? Where God says here, I will... Make justice the measuring line and righteousness the plumb line. Isaiah twenty-eight seventeen. 
So this tells me here, this is the standard to which God's calling us that we should aspire to, to seek justice. Next, come. So here's a, another widow in, in Uganda, the same, you know, a day later, I think it was. We were at a gathering. Uh, they have there a couple times a year when IGM's doing all their work with all the various clients. They get them together for these big gatherings and they're celebrations. So here you have these people that have had all this trauma in their life. Um, IGM's come in and, and help them in various ways. And then they get together a couple times a year and they help educate them a bit, but they like to celebrate too. So they're, they're celebrating their, their kind of their victory over that violence or whatever happened to them. Celebrating in some way, think some cases, celebrating graduating from their counseling or whatever it might be. Okay, so um, we're at this event here and this widow's here uh, just sharing her testimony talking about what happened, how IGM helped her, and so on. And then uh, a couple minutes later, just imagine the thankfulness and joy when God answers your prayers and rescues you. So next slide, Cheryl. Here's the same widow on her knees. So over there, they do this quite a bit. It's very uncomfortable for us, but it's their only way to emphasize how thankful they are. So here's this lady right there that just, you know, she's had all her trauma, all everything that's happened to her, but she's just so thankful. She's on her knees. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And again, it's, it's impacts like that. When we see that, to me, it's like, She's in that place because of love, that love has brought IGM there. But justice has always been ser also been served in some fashion. Okay, Remember, justice is just making things right. Justice doesn't always mean somebody's going to the gas chamber or whatever, right? It's not, it's justice just means making it right, okay? And for these people that have been victims, um, when things are made right, that's huge for them to be able to move on. Okay, so when we witness that, um, that level of joy, you you really feel that much in God's presence, just feeling that that love and joy just flowing from there. Carol, next. So before we left uh, Uganda, so in the Uganda office, these are two IGM staff people in the Uganda office. So of course, I couldn't resist while we were over there sharing about what we do over here with various fundraising, particularly with our Breaking Boards, Breaking Chains campaign. And so I had a lot of extra t-shirts with me and they were just, they just gobbled them up and they're waiting for me to ship them more. Um, I had, I don't know, I think it was about 20 or something. They're they were all gone. But the IGM field office in Uganda had 42 staff and 38 were all local Ugandan people. There was one head director, uh, female American, and then there was another lady that was uh, on staff and two uh, younger ladies, like 20s or something, 
that were there on uh, like practicums and whatnot, volunteering for a year. So it's really cool how they have most all local local staff to do the work over there. So. Um, We were just blown away with w working with the people over there. Uh, the neat thing about IJAM's work too is, and they couldn't do it without God in that in that work. Okay, so when IJAM was founded, Gary Hogan found it. it. IJAM never had any thoughts of going anywhere if God wasn't there, if God wasn't behind it, and so. The way they do their work here in this staff office, 42 people, every morning from 8 a.m. to 8.30, half hour is silent, quiet time. So that would be like all of us here showing up and you in your little corner or wherever, no talking for half an hour, just reflective time. Then the next half hour is corporate prayer time, worship time, couple of songs, prayer concerns for the day, and so on. So that's how they start every day for this justice work. So they don't go like us, just jump on our horse, head over there, and we're going to save the world and do it our way. Okay? So that's the way they start every day with God in that, asking God to lead every day. They're, they're already committed doing what they're doing because they know we know from Scripture God's called us to do that work. They know that. IJM knows that. The, the, everybody that's part of IJM knows that. That's why they're there. So that's already a given. And now they just continue to start each day, each day. Okay, God, what's happening today? What's happening today? And while, again, like I said, I would have loved to just even sing a cappella this morning because that's what we did every morning over there. A um, couple songs every morning. But talk about powerful when everybody's in that room on the same mission, the same vision, and just ready to go out uh, to do God's work. And then one morning, there uh, we'd already done the singing and everything, and so then we're doing prayer things for the day. And then there was a prayer praise item where uh, a heavy-duty perpetrator was talking about, or somebody brought up on this heavy-duty perpetrator there was a big break in the case against him. So there's this huge uh, praise item. And so right away, somebody says, hey, that deserves a song. So next thing you know, everybody's up, and whoever the main leader, song leader guy was, I forget who he was, but next thing you know, we're all up singing, praising Jesus, and marching around the room. Hey, Jesus, yay, yay, yay. Going like this around the room for about, I don't know, 10 minutes. It was just unbelievable but the the excitement the spirit with the people there is just huge but you got to remember too when you're doing that kind of work there's huge satisfaction and excitement and whatnot when you have victories but there's also a lot of disappointments too right there's a lot of challenges with that kind of work so we keep the igm people we met over there the officers there in prayer every morning. Um, next slide, Carol. So just a quick comment here I want to share with you guys too. Um, another initiative with Martial Arts for Justice besides breaking boards and, and fundraising, uh, we came across this study after we got back actually. 
And, but this study, you can see it online. Uh, it's on our Facebook or just email me. But the study looked at 400 girls who participated in a self-defense program by a Kenyan-based non-governmental organization. So this lady went over uh, from the U.S. to was teaching karate, and they were teaching the kids um, some basic self-defense skills, but I think a lot more just self-confidence and awareness and street smarts. And so there's a, a bit of a movement called No Means No Worldwide. I don't know much about that, but it taught them set verbal and physical self-defense techniques, gave them information about how to get help if they were assaulted. And conducted in high schools, the program was designed to combat a culture in which discussing sexual assault is taboo. Um, so this is in Kenya. Um, I've read lots in the IGM literature, a 10-year-old girl can't walk from home to school without being assaulted. And no, no recourse for the perpetrator. Nobody's going to come and uh, deal with that. So this preemptive is, is exciting. So then here in the, in the 10 months after receiving self-defense training, more than half of these girls reported using what they had learned to fend off would-be attackers. And the proportion of them who were raped fell from 24% in the year before training to 9.2% in the 10-month period after. So that's more than a half reduction just in that training alone. Okay, so you can imagine um, one of our visions is to be able to go over there, start teaching martial arts there um, from a ministry community level, not just a lot of martial arts. There is martial arts in Africa in different places, um, but it's more sport. And, you know, even Rwanda has a, uh, a few people that do Taekwondo that will compete internationally and stuff like that. But we're talking about grassroots community programs that can teach kids. But the vision is to go over and teach so that within three to four years, they're going to have their own black belts that can then go out and teach in schools and so on. Okay, so that's just quickly part of that vision. Uh, Carol, next. So why pursue justice? So if you think about here, with Jesus' own prayer, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is calling for his Father's will to be done on earth the same way it is in heaven. So what do we think it looks like in heaven? You think love and justice are pretty, pretty much taken care of there? Pretty much a no-brainer? Right? So Jesus is calling for that will, same will to be done on earth. And if we're obedient, I think we are his hands and feet. We need to be a part of that. Next, Chuck. And Hosea here. But you must return to your God, maintain love and justice, and wait for your God always. The two principles that Hosea called his nation to live by, love and justice, are at the very foundation of God's character. When we apply these in every aspect of our lives, we get a, a glimpse of heaven. Next, Carol. This is my friend Christian. It's his first name. We were at another event. This now is in Rwanda. 
and it was a similar sort of client uh, celebration event. And they separated us up into different tables. And so I was at one table, Marlene was at a different table, our team was spread out. And so they would put two or whatever IGM clients at a table, maybe some of their family members, some IGM staff, and then one of us so that we all got to mix uh, with everybody. And it was interesting, like with my buddy Christian here, we sat together there probably, I can't remember how long the afternoon, must have been a couple hours the afternoon. Can't understand each other, but we communicated the whole time. So I can't speak his language, he doesn't speak English, but we were connected the whole time. He's playing with my phone, my camera, and, and then I di didn't show the picture here, but then we had place settings on the table in front of each big place setting. He'd swap them and put my name in front of his, right? So it's like he's taking on my name. So this experience here again where, where we connected firsthand with these clients of IGM that, that have been helped and to see, to see them move on uh, from, from their tragedy was just unbelievable. Um, before I don't, sh don't click that. So sometimes everybody needs to remember what goes on in church stays in church. No, that doesn't really. This next picture is top secret. Okay? But this is maybe, maybe a little bit what heaven might look like. Next. There's Christian and me dancing. So they're so happy, so celebrating, they're up dancing. Everybody was up dancing, so I had to as well. Right? So you heard me, Chris. What happens in church stays in church. Next. Um, so this is a kind of a quote from Phil Riley that was with us, the mobilization director for IGM. I was so moved by what I was witnessing during this afternoon, so this is this particular afternoon, the joy among the people after all the pain they had been through, now celebrating, worshipping, and dancing. It was as if, for a brief moment, that a veil had been pulled back and I saw just a glimpse of what heaven might be like. And that's where the title for the talk today came from, is just when you, when you experience that and you just see the joy mixed with the love and the justice. Um, this was Phil's experience. He just felt so deeply moved uh, during this afternoon. We all did. Uh, next, Carol. So just to summarize a bit here, um, just to take it a step further, with love and justice, um, again, like I mentioned earlier, sometimes there's a little bit of confusion on uh, as if justice overpowers love or love overpowers justice and, and that sort of balance. And that's what this uh, statement here is talking about is love and justice are essential to Christ's followers, but they are not easy to keep in balance. Some people are loving to the point that they excuse wrongdoing. Others are just to the extent that they forget love. Okay, so I'm sure we've all experienced that in some fashion. Love without justice 
because it is not aiming at a higher standard, leaves people in their sins. Justice without love, because it has no heart, drives people away from God. To specialize in one at the expense of the other is to distort our witness. Today's church, like Hosea's nation, must live by both principles. And that goes for here at home and overseas, of course. Uh, next, Carol. So I just wanted to finish with this. You've seen it up on the bulletin board before. Fronda hasn't thrown it away yet. It's not outdated yet. Um, just leaving this with you, of course, as a challenge. Um, I mentioned earlier, Gary Hogan, the founder of IJM, uh, has written you know, quite a few books, probably almost well, four for sure, maybe five, six. Um, I've read most of them. Um, the one that he wrote is called Just Courage. And it talks about the courage of kind of getting out of our comfortable North American cul-de-sac and taking on the injustice in the world and sticking up for those that can't stick up for themselves. Um, so I think we have, of course, an obligation, responsibility. We can't say we don't know. It's too late for you guys because I just told you. <laughs> right? Should have not come today. Right? But we know. We're so blessed here in North America. I could tell you stories that would sound like uh, in crazy injustice in Africa somewhere or something, but the story would be about Canada 100 years ago or 150 years ago, U.S. 200 years ago. We had the same kind of wild, wild west injustice stuff here. So it is doable. It is fixable. Okay, And God wants to see justice. We know that. He's calling us to that. Okay, So if it's not changing, it's only because not enough of us are getting the message. Okay, But having said that, there's been huge progress in the last 10 years, okay, even 15, uh, with particularly work with IGM, but many NGOs. There's a lot more focus on the justice work. 